0: Weir's World, the All Ears podcast, in association with Hoppy's Drysuit Services, keeping
1: you dry in the wet stuff. For more information, search Hoppy's Drysuit Services on Facebook.
0: Welcome to Weir's World, the All Ears podcast, which will take you on a roller coaster journey around the world. Follow me from Beijing to New York City and back as I share my tales to tell, encompassing the 10 years of Gliadric and the Kabbalistic Cavalry, as well as touring with some well known faces. From celebrity stories to travel nightmares, We'll be reminiscing on the ridiculousness of it all, with special guests jumping in along the way. All ears is your new favourite weekly podcast. Well, good evening, sir.
1: Well, hello once more, again. Once more, whatever we're on, 40-something.
0: I think this is 40, is it not?
1: This is 40, is it?
0: No, hold on, this is 41.
1: 41. So we've done 41 hellos.
0: 41 different hellos. Wow,
1: it's a long time. It's a lot of hellos.
0: And look, listen, I was about to ask you how you are, but I know that it's uh, its not such a great week for you, is it? Do you want to tell? Let's tell the podcast masses about that.
1: Yeah, um, probably one of the toughest weeks of my life ever. Um, we had to put down our family dog of fifteen years uh, uh, Saturday just a few days ago. So we're twenty-eight uh, years old, me and you, and Corey has been in my family since I was thirteen, mm. which. Actually, thinking about that is quite crazy. Actually, it's a long, long time.
0: Yeah, well, well, when you put it like that, I mean, what's that? You were thirteen, so we probably, yeah. you and I probably only met when we were about.
1: 12. Uh yeah, about that, yeah.
0: So the fact that Cory's been in your life for as long as, <laughs> as long as I've, as long been- as
1: you have, <laughs> pretty much, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's no, it's quite. Um, I totally get that. It's a, a really emotional experience for you.
1: Yeah, it has has been a really tough week actually and uh, thinking about it now, like when we had Chris Duke on a few months ago and he sort of said, uh, you know, about men crying and stuff and I'll quite happily admit that this week has been mentally exhausting for me and I've cried a lot and I'll happily admit that and I'll probably end up crying for quite a few days still, Um, Mm. but the amount of love and messages and things like that that people have sent has been quite amazing actually, yourself included. Um, today I got a card from uh, one of my good friends, Christy. She's been messaging me every single day. So the amount of love from everyone has been incredible, actually. It's been so nice.
0: Yeah, you won't know this, but a couple of people have asked for your address along the way as well. So um, I've uh, I've passed that out to a couple of people. And, uh, hopefully... Was one of,
1: them, one of them Ann Summers? Because she appeared at the door the other day.
0: <laughs> uh, Ann from Anne Summers is not one <laughs> <laughs> She's not asked for it yet, okay. <laughs> It's <laughs> not yet. Not yet. The yet is important in that sentence. But yeah, yeah, listen. When when you were telling the story there, the first person that we thought of this week when we were talking about, you know, building it for this episode was actually Chris because mm. um, because of exactly what you you spoke about there. Yeah. The notion that men do cry, boys yeah. do cry, and that actually it's a hugely emotional experience for you, for you and your family. Yes. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm sure the listeners will echo what I'm saying, and that we really are thinking of you. Like it's a really, it's a really difficult time. But I know that for you, you spoke about it on uh, Ogilvy's order. I, I know that for you, one of the best ways for you to cope with things is to keep busy. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and certainly, you've you've managed to do that this week with them. Um, uh, another gig in, in down, down south in England. Eh? That's, yes, it's, it's great to be getting back to work. I suppose
1: it is. It's nice to see it actually. Um, and that was um, well, we can discuss that in Ogv's aura whenever that appears again. But uh, it was good to be back in a similar venue. Um, unfortunately, it's as you say, it's in England. It's not in Scotland yet. It's not quite reached that far north. But it's good to be actually doing live music again. And mm. and exactly like you say, just being busy. Uh, in these times of life is probably, for me, it's definitely the best thing to do. Um, so, again, it's it's nice to have even the podcast to come to and speak to and see your ugly face every week. Uh, it's...
0: Excuse me. <laughs> Remember, we're not capturing the, the visuals Oh, yet. yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> on, that, on,
0: that, um, on that bombshell here, we, we, we actually joined immediately after the England, England versus Germany game mm. in the Euros which yep. we mentioned absolutely nothing about because it was nope. insignificant. And moving on, um, <laughs> <laughs> how
1: uh, how, is, how is your week been since I've last spoken to you? My,
0: my week's been a bit mad. Like um, I know we've spoken a bit over the last few weeks about the notion of this boxes advert, right? Yes. Um, and this is this is Tuesday night. Two nights ago, um, mm. I found myself on Irvine Beach, right? In okay. And there I was in my kex, belting about Irvin Beach, filming an advert for Lucky Jocks. <laughs> um, it was, do you know what? For a forty-second advert, it was a three-hour shoot. Wow. Um, and I, I have to say, that the, the guys, Anthony Chalmers and his team, he, they made it really, uh, they made it really easy to do. It's obviously mm. not something that's. I know we had a laugh with Rachel about body competence and stuff, but. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do to stand out in your kets and, and, and with a camera in front of you. Never mind. I have to tell you, actually, the funniest mm. thing perhaps was standing there in my kets and a lady in Irvine coming up to us and saying, "Oh, eh, what's what's the pocket for? eh? what's the pocket for?" <laughs> and, and, and and Anthony, Anthony, he, he stood his ground and he said, "Oh, look, you know, it's, a, it's it's part of the part of the brand, you know, the Lucky Jocks brand." And um, and she went, "Ha oh, ha ha." Is that funny? Your gear is that? Aye? <laughs> uh, I thought, yeah. Uh, welcome, um, welcome to Irvine. I've never been in Irvine in my life until that point where I was uh, confronted with, "Oh, is that when you put your <laughs> gear?" In, aye?
1: And uh, for when, for all the listeners, for when the advert does come out, was it cold that day? Uh,
0: it was freezing.
1: It was um, freezing. Right. Okay.
0: The, the advert start. The, the the shoot started at six pm. Yep. It closed off at the back of 9 p.m. Yeah. So the back of 9 p.m. on a beachfront uh, mm. on the west coast. Don't get me wrong, the views over Arran were absolutely stunning, mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. Um, the views on the hill in Irvine yeah. possibly less so, but um, it was it was a certainly it was a unique experience. It was one that I enjoyed. Yeah. But it was a, it was unique if you want to call it that.
1: Is that the first time in your life that you've been on a beach in your pants looking over uh, somewhere or something called Aaron? Yes. Yes.
0: (laughs) And that is all that needs to be said. (laughs) Aaron is one thing. Mm. But uh, it has to be said that I have to question whether or not I actually heard the X Factor that night, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Of all the links that we've done to link two things together, that is up there.
0: I think, I think you could tell from the pause that there was quite a... It was like, how do we... Like <laughs> do we do?
1: Of all the things you could have done, that's what you came out with. That's good. I'll give you that.
0: I mean, depending on who you're asking, I might well have had the X Factor that night. Well... But we, we are joined this evening by someone who absolutely does, Mr. Nicholas McDonald. Nicky, how are you doing, man?
2: I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
0: Yeah, we're doing, we're doing fine, man. It's, it's nice to see you. It's been a little while. I know. Um, it kind of felt like for a little while I kept bumping into you at different events here and there around the country, but obviously the pandemic's put put an end to that. It struck the lightning.
2: Yeah, it struck <laughs> like lightning. Yeah, struck
0: like lightning. Yeah, It's been a McDonald's free zone for a little while. How Aye. um how has the how has the pandemic been for you? Has it been all right? You managed to keep well.
2: I it's like I, I mean put on a bit of forty stone, but other than that, it's just been like a. Everyone's in the same position, do you know what I mean? Um, everybody's struggled, it's been hard for everyone. Uh, and see, the thing is, I you, you obviously feel sorry because everyone's dealing with it, but it's like, I kind of feel sorry for myself because no one's been able to sing and no one's been able to really go at their work. Um, and it's been something that people just never, people don't even know how to handle it. People never even knew it was coming. Um, and it's just been yeah. a crazy experience, but... Um, I mean, nobody's seen it coming, so it's just kind of day want you. You take it day by day, literally. Um, and I haven't worked. My last gig was on the fourteenth of March of last year, and I've not done a. I mean, I've done a gig like the odds, um, like Zoom and all that, but it's nothing being like an actual setup going to go and do a show, which has been yeah, of course, a bummer. Yeah,
0: and um, one of our recent guests. Um, we've mentioned this a couple of times, uh, quoted it as that the pandemic has either made us a, a chunk, a hunk or a drunk. So you're saying that you've put on all the weight, have you?
2: No, probably probably more drinking than the weight, to be honest.
0: <laughs> you've become a drunk, fair enough. Any
2: <laughs> excuse or like, it's a Tuesday, three o'clock, all right, okay, I'll have a beer.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah I think we can I think we can relate to that cheers man hi um,
2: well uh, I've got a water that I had a pint earlier on
0: <laughs> good play and um, did I see as well that recently you've been did, did I see that you took the took the gamble and went over to Portugal am I right in saying that
2: no I went to my wife actually from Florida right so we went over there obviously I can go there because she's a, still a citizen over there and I'm a spouse yeah. so we can we can go there um, and minutes. It's fine. We're actually even to go there again in two weeks um, so she can see her family and all that. So I'm very blessed that I can do that. But now, like, Spain and all that's opening up, and I'm like, I just need to go to Spain.
0: Um, th- did you manage to avoid having the quarantine because of um, Brandy's...
2: Yes. So our family's from Florida, and Florida's basically opened all back up now. So, I mean, they're having shows over there now, 50,000 people with no mass and all that. So the Governor of Florida said that if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, you don't. Basically, COVID doesn't exist there. That's his kind of attitude. And um, with people flying in, all you have to do is have a is a PCR test to them. Yeah. Fifty flat- and then that's it. So, and I've I've not got my vaccine either. So it's it's all good.
0: Your experience on the X Factor, right? So you obviously went on that 2013 um, audition where you raised me up. Tell us about the. The time leading up to that and your experience of auditioning initially for the X-Factor.
2: So my time leading up to the show, um, I only was really singing about a year and a half or two years before that. Like just started off doing pubs and clubs and whatever, making some money when I was younger. Um, and then one day I was actually bored and I signed up for the X-Factor on The Voice the same night. And a long story short, The Voice actually got back to me before... X Factor, so I was actually about to go for a voice the edition, then I got the email from X Factor and I was like, I've always watched X Factor I've always loved it, I'll just go for X Factor um, Honestly, I, I never even knew that you had to do like the editions that no one sees, like none of it gets shown, like producer editions, I do not even know you had to do that I thought I was coming up to the SSEC singing for the judges, but I wasn't <laughs> so about this happened um, but I, I just I just went on it and I went and a prayer and just kind of took every every step of the show as it came and, and, and never really ever really get my hopes up I was just enjoying it because I was so young and so naive, do you know what I mean? I, I really had nothing really to worry about. Yeah, because
0: you're, you're you're 24 now, right? So what what, yep. what were you at
2: that point? Sixteen. You
0: just to be kids really effectively. I,
2: do you know what I mean? And even, even like probably just a year before that, my voice just broke. It was breaking later on in my life when I was about 15. Um, so I wrote super, super soon. I think I was the youngest contestant to ever come on and up, maybe. I think. Don't fact check me, but I'm pretty positive that that's, that was the case.
1: And how many editions did you do with the producers? And then how many was it until you met the judges? And then how was it when you eventually did meet them?
2: Um, I'd done like five, four or five. But it was in front of producers that I found out later on the show that were like scouts for Sony, eh, the actual producers of the show, people that was like Simon Kill's right hand man or whatever they were like. People are really, really high up in the show, but I never knew that at the time. For me, it could have been Joe Bloggs off the street. I never had a clue. Um, but the additions were actually really, really scary because the first ever one i done, there was about I can't even, about 10,000 in the SSCC. And it was just these wee, tiny, 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 like, booths, like tents. I went in and you literally sung a cappella 30 seconds and went, all right, okay, and you a ticket. And it was a wee ticket that then told you that you had done an audition that day. Had an audition that day. Um, it was in a room and it says, all right, you're through. But I remember sitting outside and there was this girl that came out and she never got through and I was like, wow, she was amazing. Never get through. I went in and get through and I went, How was that? I was like, I'm just going to like this. I was like, How's she get through? And I never, well, will she never get through? And I did. And then went for another one. And then the last one was in front of a guy and a woman. What I later found the show, the guy who was a scout for Sony and the woman was the producer of the show. And he says, Sung and spoke to him for a wee while. And then he says, Right, okay, if you get through to the judges round, we'll give you a phone call within the next six to eight weeks. I was like, I Cool. Six to eight weeks past, six weeks past, never heard anything seven weeks, nothing, eight, nine, ten, nothing. like that. I never get through, whatever. Got a phone call. Oh, it was a runner for the show called Louie. And he's like, Oh, congratulations, you've got an addition in front of the judges. And it was in the Hilton Hotel in the West End. Yeah. But that was it, that was like months and months and months later that I actually got the thing in front of them. But they made it out. That, that was my first edition. So, the editions that the clothes that I actually wore for the editions in front of the producers and all that. Remember, they had us all outside the SSEC and giving it all the extract and all that. So, obviously, that was getting filmed. So, I had to pull out the, the, the white shirt with the waistcoat and the pink tie. I'm like, I didn't even like it. My mom picked it. You could tell my mom picked my mom dressed me that day. I looked like a <laughs> um, So, I it was months later in that edition, I was actually really scared because. That was exactly what you see in the telly. All the, the acts sitting in one room, all the lights, all the drama, people crying. People, you can watch them and you can hear them. And you're like, oh, how did they not get through? And somebody that's good didn't get through, then really not with your confidence going, oh, yeah, how did I not get through? And at 16 years of age, I'm walking in there going, oh, Billy like Big Buzz, I'm not going to do great here. Do you know what I mean? I was just in there going, this is crazy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and
0: and what what was it that led like obviously you're a sixteen year old kid if you want to call it that right what what was it that led you eventually to actually going forward and saying look I'm going to audition for this was it was it your parents' support um, or was it some sort of self confidence in yourself that was like yeah look I've got this on <clears throat> where did that come from
2: for me it, it was it, it was my parents saying oh you should definitely do it. I if, if, they were, if they ever if they pushed me to do it, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, I mean, I pro- I don't know. I, I I maybe would have done it later in life, like probably this age, but I wouldn't have done it so young. But the the, the year that year they dropped the age. It used to be eighteen, and they dropped it to yeah. sixteen. And I was like, oh, just go for it. Um, but if it wasn't for them, no, I I I I wouldn't have auditioned that year. I probably would have done it, but I just don't know when. But it's kind of like right place, right time, kind of uh, situation.
0: So going through your X Factor journey, um, I've done my research because, to be fair, I, I wasn't a massive X Factor fan. Um, you ended up at you ended up at Louis Louis's house, yeah. Aye. So where where was that? Was it over in Ireland or was it somewhere a bit more exotic?
2: Well, when, when I found out Louis was my judge, was like great, like he's down to earth, he's good, crack, whatever. But then when I get through to the judge's house, he's I, I flew from Glasgow. And the, the people that the producers of the show don't tell you where you're going. They just put you on a flight for Glasgow, to Heathrow, and say, Pack a case. You're gone somewhere for a week, but we're not telling you where it is. So I'm rolling up to Heathrow Airport, laugh. Like, I've got my skiing, ski goggles, my big bomber jackets on, and all that. I think I'm going to Dublin, do you know what I mean? The big golden envelope, and they're all like, Oh, they're excited. I mean, like, excited we're excited. We're going half an hour across, across the water. Um, and we opened up the big envelope and it said Saint-Tropez in France. And I was like, ah, I don't even know where Saint-Tropez is. I said, but I definitely know it's no Dublin anyway. So I was dead happy and ended up, I Saint-Tropez in France, which I later found out after the show, it's one of the nicest places in the world. So I was like, ah, brilliant.
0: But that must have felt, at that, at that point, right, it must have felt pretty surreal going out to the south of France to be at the house of Louis Walsh, where yeah. a bunch of judges, especially when uh, you were in a position where you didn't really feel like you had the confidence to go for it yourself and that yeah. you have being, being pushed by your mum, uh, essentially. So how, how was that experience for you in Santa Fe at, um, at Louis' place?
2: First of all, I don't think it was actually Louis, I think it was an Airbnb that they rented. <laughs> 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 they had a tight budget that year. It's only, it's only other, like, Simon's house and... Sean Osborne's says so that they actually go to them the rest of my bed, um. But I, I actually, that point in the show, because I, after that I had my like very first edition, then I had my Wembley edition, and then I had a couple of boot camp editions. Then I had my six tier, my six tier challenge edition, which was the first year they ever done it. I got to the point, I got down to the last six boys, and ninety five thousand boys auditioned that year. And I got down to the last six and I got to Saint-Tropez and, you know, like, people don't know what goes on in the background with all the filming and the hours that you've got, you're filming and they cut it down to literally a minute. It's like, people be like, oh, but you've got an opportunity a lifetime. I'm like, I know that, but when you ha- have to keep all this hush-hush for, like, over a year and whatever, like, it's really, really hard and a lot, a lot, a lot of stress and pressure at the time. But I got to the point in the show where I got to Judges House and I actually said to myself, if I don't get through here, I'll probably never do this again. It's stressful. And I was only 16. I, th- I couldn't even spell stress at 16. Do you know what I mean? That's why I think, imagine if I'd done it now, like, <clears throat> really, I'd need- done it at such a right age because everything just went over my head. I was so naive to it. I was like, this is great. All my pals are in school and I'm in Saint-Tropez. Do you know what I mean? I was yeah. very chilled about it. Um, whereas I think if I'd done it now, I know what to expect. I know what it's like. Could I handle it? I don't know. I I mean I, I I would be able to handle it, but it would be different, do you know what I mean? Compared to when you're sixteen and not a key in the world.
1: These
0: cameras are rolling all the time. Like For the uh, minute you open your eyes. And you and you can't you literally can't switch off to that. Like you you, you pick your nose or you I don't know, you pick Back. your ass or whatever. And and you're right there, like across the country on 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 television yeah. because 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 you've done that. Like um, It's
2: a scary, obviously, it's a scary prospect to have to deal with, you know what I mean? Yeah, it is. And and, and, it's weird saying this, but obviously I was 16. The only thing I wish I could really take away for the show is a lot of people ask about the experience and it's definitely changed my life and this is my job forever and I'm very thankful for that. I kind of wish I could do it now and I'm not, and you know, Craig, I don't blow my own trumpet or whatever, but I'm a much more better performer now and I'm much more confident within myself now. When I was 16, I was only singing a year and a half, two years max. I never knew nothing about singing. I never knew about song choice. I never knew what songs I wanted to sing. Now I know what I like to sing and what artist kind I want to be. Whereas then they were, they knew like, even like come back to like filming, like they would wake you up in the morning and they were structuring everyone like we characters. You know what I mean? Without them saying you're a character, but you almost are, but they need to sell you to the public. And yeah. me just being myself, I was, near, like, they were trying to get me, they were kind of trying to put words into my mouth by saying, but say it like this, and I'm, like, but even with my accent, they're, like, oh, maybe tone it down a wee bit, or, like, I remember, like, they were telling me, it's sexy and all that, oh, maybe we need to lose a wee bit of weight and all that, and I'm, like, I don't need to do any of this. I just want to sing. Yeah, no, I absolutely
0: get it. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, the, the first guest that we had on this podcast was... Um, was Jai McDowell, who's a good mate of mine, right? And, and right. Also, I'm sure you've met Jai over, o- over the years because like, his experiences with Britain's Got Talent and whatnot. Uh, I'm interested to hear what your relationship was like with the judges. Did you did you get to speak to them much or was it literally a case of you were there on the show and that was it?
2: See, the thing with Britain's Got Talent is the live shows is, is, is over and done way within a week. The actual show runs longer, but the actual live shows for British get Talent is very quick and they don't really get that judge experience. So I, I think that's where Jai is a bit like, mm, like he wish he had that judge experience. With me, me and Louis Walsh were like that. Like I seen him probably Thursday, Sat, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and he gave me his number and if I had any issues I had to call him and that was fine. Um, and Lou really believed in me. Louis Walsh really believed. Louis Walsh actually told me like, the first or second week, he says, Nicholas, if you actually listen to, like, if you just believe me and you believe in yourself, I mean, you could potentially win this show. And I'm like, I need bother. Like, whatever. You would say that, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, Ah, you would. But but then at the same time, I'm like, this is Louis Walsh. This guy's been on this show longer than I've been on this whole earth. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but Louis, Louis believed in me. Shan Osborne was like a grand, like was like a grandmother. Like I used to chop her door, like, and I'd walk in and she'd get her hair done, and she would be sitting with the dogs and all that, getting her hair and makeup done, and I'd just be sitting talking to her about normal life, and she'd tell me how she flew over in a private jet with her dogs and all that, and I'm like, this is just mental. I mean, and then we had Nicole Scherzinger, which was, I mean, I could just stay at her all day.
0: We've referenced, we've referenced her on this podcast a few times actually, but people people who've been in and around her, and yeah, I think I think I could say
2: the same. she she's, yeah. she's she's a good soul person. She's got a great heart. She's mm-hmm. she's so nice, and I've, I've I've met a lot of big, especially when you're on the show for 14 weeks a live show. You know yourself. They've a, they've two singers every week come on the Sunday and perform because their song will be coming out on that Monday. You're meeting all the big acts at the time, you name it, they're all there. She was super, super nice, Um, and actually better looking in real life than she does in the cameras. Don't know how it's possible, but she is. And then Gary Barlow was an absolute see you next Tuesday, can't stand him. (laughs) It was just just so arrogant. It's an exclusive here on the podcast. Gary Barlow is a absolute walloper. Um, oh, wow. the, thing is, the, amount of, the amount of women go, oh <laughs> my god oh my god you met Gary Barlow I went ah, he's f- <laughs> f- <head."> like, <laughs> It was just, it was just like somebody like Sian Osborne does not need to give a wee 16 year old guy to Scotland yeah, yeah. a time of day she has got bigger fish to fry like even she gave me like her phone number and all that and says if there's any issues like off camera give me a phone give me a shout like whatever Um Everyone was so nice, so welcoming. And even like if you watch Black Some Auditions, Gary was very critical on things like I mean, Nicholas, the song was great for you. And but just you could have you could have took it up to keys or just we daft things or your hair was out of place or something like that. Shut up. And my mum told me like during that and a lot of people were saying, I don't know why Gary's been so harsh on you because when Gary did the whole take that additions and whatever, he was the same age as me when he was auditioning for take that, and he got a lot of scrutiny. A lot of people told him, "You're not good enough. You know this. You know that." Still I want to be successful and great and whatever else, but why? Why was he so harsh on me? I don't know. But did it hurt my feelings? No, I couldn't give a f- <laughs> because I'm like, I'm like, I don't like i like I used to just smile at that and no be bothered. And even like walking by him in the dressing room or, or in the hallway, all like he wouldn't even look the road you're on. Like, just I don't know what it was, but even um, um some of his acts felt the same way. And he was their mentor to him. And they're saying, Nicky, we totally agree with you. And I'm like, well, I must not be the only person.
0: I mean, he's also had a great career in music, but yeah, it's a. I suppose on a show like that, you have a certain responsibility to, to act a certain way.
2: Um,
0: 100%. Yeah. Um, how would
2: he feel if someone treated his son at that age? I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know how big their show was. I was so naive. it was going over my head. But he knew the, the, the circumstances that I was under, and that's the way he felt to treat me. And see if somebody done that to his son, they would be done smashing his face in.
0: He's obviously he's obviously never met any of the big boys from West before. Do you
2: know
0: what I mean? Absolutely, they'd give him a doing. But do you know what? Have we still got Shannon's number? Give her a ring and tell her. I have a got good. a game about
2: a Frank. Mumbo Frankie the new on the podcast. <laughs> and it's supposed to yeah. Nicky McDonald, Frankie Shan Osborne.
0: Do you know what? What would be even better is is if you actually had Gary Barlow's number and we could just phone up and say Whatever. What, what, what would we Aye. what would we say, Tim? What would we say?
2: Robbie Williams is better.
0: <laughs> I don't know. We've had, we've had we've had some things to say about Robbie Williams on this podcast as well. But we'll move on. And um, listen, like you obviously <laughs> on the show, right? You had the you had the opportunity to, to collaborate with with Shane from Westlife, right? In the latter phases of the in the latter phases of the show, and obviously that came from from Louis because. I had contact with Westlife and whatnot, and that's great. But that that still must have felt like an incredible moment, like in 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 the latter stages of the show, to have the opportunity to, to to guest and collaborate with somebody like Shane Phelan, who obviously has had this amazing career in music. And, yeah. And, and as a, as a young boy at sixteen, that must have felt like an incredible moment in your career, like in in, in your life.
2: No, it did, and a, a lot of people were like. He and Louis Dick saying Oh, they're only using him and like because obviously Shane never done it for years, like before that, and like this was like relaunching his career and all that. And I was like, wow, what a lot of nonsense. Um, I never got to personally pick um who I wanted to sing with, but Shane was amazing. It was, and even if you look back, my Judge's House edition, he was one of the judges there. And he says, Nick, and this was off camera. No, this was on camera. He says, I've done Judges Houses every single year with Louis Walsh. That Louis Walsh has done this show. Yes. He says, never once have I cried at a contestant at Judges Houses. He you're the first person to make me cry. And he went, you're amazing. And I was like, Jesus Christ, thanks. Obviously, I saw you raise me up, so I know who Westlife were. Heard yeah, them yeah, growing yeah. up. And to this day, I love them. And my American wife loves them as well. Um, and even after the show, Shane was, like, doing, um, like, Motherwell Theatre and all that, um, he invited me down to sing. He was doing gigs in Glasgow. he get me on stage to sing Flying Without Wings, kept in contact. Great guy. And, uh, like, even, like, his wife, his kids, his family, like, his whole team were so, so nice. And that's things that people don't get to experience after X Factor. When you do your duets, do you think for a minute Alexander Buck got to phone Beyonce after it and they go and hang out with behind GZ? Me and Shane are hanging down motherhood in the in the theatre. Well, oh,
0: that's 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 what I was just about to say. That actually, you know, as much as as much as people were t- to a point like, oh, Louis Walsh, yeah, the same guys every year, whatever else, right? They care. They actually they, they make a point of like you know being a part of it and actually making you feel important. Whereas I yeah. just say. There's, there's likes like, Alexandra Burke with Beyonce. Does Beyonce know who Alexandra Burke is now? Like, she doesn't no. care. Like she's no into no. We, we yeah. actually um It's actually quite nice that, as you say, that you've managed to maintain that kind of contact with Shane and with Louis I mean, and with his team.
2: I've not heard from them for a while, do you know what I mean? But I actually looked through my, my other phone the other day there and I noticed I still had Louis Walsh's phone number and I'd already watched that. They says there was active like two hours before it and I was like, I'm, like, I'm sure they're playing Hamden like next year or something. But I'm going to drop with a text saying, uh, need a support slot. Yeah, <laughs>
0: getting sort of you out, it's an exclusive here on the podcast, <laughs> Nicky. What you had, right, on the X Factor, with in terms of your relationships with the people that were on the show at the same time,
2: uh-huh.
0: from, from what I, I mean, again, I've not followed the X Factor massively, although I have to say, I do remember you being on it because... Um, my parents watched it around that time, um, but what what you had on the X Factor that time was an incredible friendship with, you know, other other musicians and artists that were, you know, pretty much vying for the same spots as you, right? Yeah. Which, in, in my opinion, is it is an incredibly Scottish way to be, right? Because like that's just we just we just make pals How with everybody. everybody? Yeah. In particular, you obviously had that friendship with Luke, Luke Friend and yeah. with, Sam, with Sam Bailey, who obviously eventually beat you to the title yeah. X Factor winner that year. And um, How is your relationship with them now? Are you still in contact with both of them? And uh, I, where is that now?
2: So when I was on the show, obviously these people are my competitors, do you know what I mean? But I never looked at it as that. No. As you say, just typical Scottish, like everybody's your pal and... If somebody gives you the time of day, you'll talk the ears off them. Um obviously Sam was like kind of like a mother figure in the house as well, and mm. Luke was just just a mate. He was about yeah, I think he's about a year older than me. Um, but he's was like a big brother. A lot more no, he was 18, he's two year older than me. So he was like 18 on the show and I was I 16. Um, but even at this day, I speak to Luke. Now and again, um, we're actually going to plan to go down to London and my wife and his girlfriend. They've met; they met at our wedding um, two years ago. And um, we're going to have a night down there. Me and Luke are, are very, still very, very close. With Sam, she came off the show, the show. and had a wee girl called Miley. And um, phoned me up one day and says, "I'm obviously, you know, I'm pregnant. Um, do you want to be the godfather?" And I was like, I definitely for sure." Mm-hmm. Um, I says, "Who's the godmother?" She went, Sean Osborne. I was like, what? <laughs> it's just, I was like, I Google it. I said, right, so I'm the godfather of Sharon Osborne and Big Ozzy are the, the other godparents who say that. Sign me up. So me and Sam are still pretty close. Um, she's come up here, I think, the next, next year to do some musical. I see her when she's about. Um, and I always keep saying I need to go down and visit in Leicester. Um but well, obviously with the pandemic stuff, can I do that? So, I have
0: It's Leicester. Leicester's her hometown, is it? Aye. Amazing. That's, like, as we said, it's obviously wholly Scottish, like, to, to be able to actually do that, to, like, um, engage and, and connect with, effectively, our competitors, hey eh? Absolutely. Aye. um So, let's talk about... The final, right, of the X Factor, right? Before, I mean, before you were able to actually just embrace and be pals and and forget about the whole competitive side of things, that must have been amazing to to perform at, at Wembley. Um, on, I mean, obviously you were on national TV throughout the whole the whole. I was about to say tournament, but I'm thinking about the Euros. Ah, uh, you're right, we the Euros.
1: <laughs> throughout
0: the whole, throughout the whole. Um. What do you call it? Spectacle uh, performance uh, <laughs> throughout the whole um, competition. The, the whole
1: competition. Uh, competition.
0: Competition.
2: Competition. That's. I <laughs> have That's the one I'm looking for.
0: Ali, thank you for helping us. Uh, uh-huh. Right through the competition. Right. Um, it must have felt amazing to like in some ways to compete with people that were your friends, but but also competitors, as as we mentioned. How, how did that feel to actually be on stage at Wembley for the final of the X Factor? Because, I mean, in my opinion now, right, I think the X Factor, when you were on it, was a much bigger deal, like, commercially, than what it is in the current market. So that must have
2: been amazing. 100%. I feel like, and I'm not just saying this in focus say I am biased, but the year before me was James Arthur, and that was a big year. Yeah. I think, honestly... And James uh, Arthur,
0: obviously, and James Arthur commercially right now is still huge.
2: I, but Then he obviously slagged X-Factor and all that when he came off it. And then we deemed he's selling the... Every song he brings out is a top five. Um, but I'm not just saying this. And I, I, I know myself numbers-wise, because we were competing like 12 million, 11 million um, Saturday night viewers We but strictly and all that, which strictly yeah. still huge, but they don't pull in their numbers now. I know, I, I know for a fact. But yeah. I would honestly say the X factor was big. You had like, your GLS, your Oli Mars, your one direction year, which was huge, and it just went up, 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 up. James Arthur's year, and then it got to James Arthur's year, and it got to your year. And it kind of took a wee dip, and then after that, it went boom. Yeah. I feel like you had Ben Hay now, you had. Matt Terry, you had Louisa Johnston. That's all I can name off the top of my head. The three after us,
0: and I, I have to, I have to tell you, like from from Al, I can tell from Ali's face and from my perspective, I I've heard of Louisa Johnston, but after after like that period that you're talking about, you absolutely <coughs> hit it at the peak, the peak yeah. of the show. Uh, before that, before it hit that um, kind of downward spiral, and 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 every show does that inevitably. Yeah. Like, yeah. you you were a part of that at the peak. Like you were a part of that when the, the, the final was at Wembley Arena and you had literally, I mean, if not the Scottish audience, like a big part of the UK audience in, in the palm of your hand. That must have yeah. been amazing.
2: It, it was. It, it, see the, the thing is, obviously, people say to me, oh, what have you done since the show? And, and what's this and what's that? Like, I was 16, I turned 17 on the show. I never won the show. I don't need to prove nothing to nobody. I don't need to come out and be a superstar. See, 17, same again. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was getting handed lawyers, accountants and agents and all this, and I'm like, uh, I just want to get home and go down the sports centre with my pals. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it, It's it's hard, and, and having the pressure, eh, well, ha- kind of half a nation on your shoulders, but I never thought that when I got to the final. When I got to the final, I thought, this is mental. How how have I, I ended up here? Do you know what I yeah. mean? And I'm only 17. Do you know what I mean? For, for, for me, the best thing I can take away from it is, is it's an achievement, a lifetime. Do you know what I mean? All these years later, I'm still singing. It's still my job. People be like, I, what you've been up to? But it's, it's the lamps to the slaughter. There's new voice, new X Factor, new Britons get talent every single year. So there's another so many contestants ahead of me that's already been and gone, do you know what I mean? As long as I can make living out of it and it's my job and I can use X Factor and whatever, then I'm going to do it, do you know what I mean? But having that being at the final and I was like I think at one point I was just sitting in my dressing room going, this is mental this is actually mental and I sat up the back of the the arena like during rehearsals and I'm just looking going this is nuts but I don't think at one point I actually stood and just pinched myself and just went. appreciate because it. if I did, I'd have probably farted and just like right through it in my pants and been like, right, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, so so, same again, took me a pinch of salt, enjoyed the experience and just was like happy to be there. I've been like, this is a blessing for God. This is, I'm very thankful for where I am. Do you know what I mean? But I never, ever thought, oh, the whole of Scotland, have are, 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 like support me. I, of course, I thought that, but I didn't have have a, It wasn't pressure on my shoulders. It was like an anxiety. Like, oh my god! I just wanted to make them proud, make myself proud, my family, and whatever, and just enjoy myself. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't the theory, Oh my god! I need to. I need to win this. So that was never my. That was never my thought process going into the show. It must be something about uh, blokes from that sort of area of scotland that you're
1: actually decent singers and you're hilarious because like lewis is lewis capaldi he's just along the road and things like that so i yeah so what are the chances that two actually funny decent guys are decent singers as well and actually exactly like you said don't need to be the superstar that the, the image the image that these programs want they just want to go so ali, ali
0: there's there's lewis capaldi who's the other one Susan <laughs> <Boyd>. <laughs>
1: Susan Boyle Where's, is she half, a, half an hour along the road as well?
2: No I think she's Lewis Cabaldi neighbour
1: <laughs> <laughs> What what a street that would be to live on you Lewis oh, and Susan <laughs>
0: What a
2: street man <laughs> That's absolute carnage
0: let, let, let's, let's talk about it right? so obviously you, you've you grown up at, you, you grew up in Wishaw, right?
2: No I grew up in Uddingston
0: Right you grew up in Uddingston <clears throat> But you've been in Wrexham for a fair while, right? Yeah. What was the support back? Uh, like, what was the support like back at home?
2: I mean, the, I came off the show. I think it was on the 18th of December. Came down up, went home, and then had like had Christmas with my family and stuff. And then at the, and then after it was a couple of days before before Christmas. My pal says to me, "Do you fancy going to the Boxing Day sales?" I was like, I might know. Fucking great idea that was. So I obviously t- take the train in to the box and day sales. Oh, the trains are absolutely rammed. Um, I got off at Central and it was just at that point, that's when I thought, that is when it hit me. Like, your life's changed. Because when I was on the live shows, they'd, they'd be staying in a big mansion. They had this real security, they made sure we were getting picked up and dropped off like, no, like, I, people could, like, get pictures and all that, but our, our safety was, was key at that point because there was people that wanted to take their head off and if somebody could throw eggs at you, assault you, whatever, they'd get away with it. Yeah. They'd try and do that. So, yeah. when I yeah. had that freedom of coming off the show, no security, no parents, me and my pals, walking doing Sucky Hall Street was carnage. I, and I'll never forget it. When, and, and I don't even like Pizza Hut. I'm a Domino's guy. So, they put us in the, 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 the women... I think, recognised me. And there was loads of people just outside, like, just gathering, and she put us right at the window. You know the Pizza I'm talking about? Right at yeah. the four corners, it's just a big yeah. bay glass. And I swear to God, you'd have thought Justin Bieber or something. That's what it felt <laughs> like for a minute. That was in Pizza Hut. All I can eat for a tenner. Um, and there was just people banging the window, and there was just I mean, hundreds of people just standing, just staring at me eating pizza. I'm like, this is nuts. So, I ended up finishing up, went out the back door. My pal got a, waved in a black cab and we jumped in it. And there was, um, I just turned around and there was, it was like that, just like zombies, like apocalypse, man. These folk just running, screaming, like adults. Yeah. People were, like, no, no, like me fangirls, like actual adults, boys, girls, you name it. It was mad. And for me, I was like, wow, this is crazy. That was that. That was yeah. like a, having that experience in the Pizza Hut was scarier than singing at Wembley, mm. because yeah. I never knew how big the show was because I was kept in this bubble until I walked down Sucky Hall Street. And wait, like, people just run up. And just, and I'm just like, oh, my God, there's phones everywhere. And I'm just like, it was mental, but it was just it was it was so cool. Like, just experiencing it, it was really cool.
0: Let's talk about, um, you obviously went on to release that album, right? Um, in the Arms of an Angel. Um, yeah. Which, which, as a 16-year-old guy, right, you, you, you've you gone on to record this album um, on, a, on a label that's gone on to, to chart at number six in the UK and number one in Scotland. Talk yeah. to us about that experience of... First of all, recording that album, but then also how it felt to have achieved that sort of status.
2: With the whole record deal thing, obviously when you win the show, you, you, you get a million pound record deal. I think a lot of people think you get a million pound put in at your bank until to spend it. That is isn't the case. Basically, Sony or whatever, invest a million into you, into your album, into everything. When I go off, I get signed with RCA. Like, you want to do a covers album? Same again. This is the only thing, like, we we daft things I wish I could take away for the show that I wish I could do now. 17, do a covers album, call it in the arms of an angel. I'm like, I I, like, I I never knew what was going to work. What, like, I never even written a song then. Do you know what I mean? So, the album, yes, it did well in the UK and in Scotland. Number six, kind of take it away for that. For something that was running up, I wasn't the winner. So, wasn't it like my expectations was it was going to make a number one? See if I was in the top 20, I was like, cool, I'm happy. And below that, I'd been like, all right, okay. But covers album is not a thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but written, the album process was very, very rushed. They had a lot of say. I was just like, aye, 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 that's a great idea. Because same again, young, naive, these guys are the experts. I know. Yeah. I don't know a lot, no. Now, what I've learned in the past year since going off the show is what people learn in 60 years, being in this industry. I've learned literally, because you have to, you learn all the scumbags and all the good guys, and there's more scumbags than there is good guys. But with the album, it's very, very rushed. It was a great, pro- I mean, I don't, there was like one or two originals on there, and then one of the guy. it was actually a guy who wrote Believe by Cher, and he also wrote Hero by Raking Glaces.
0: Both of those are Ali's favourite karaoke
2: songs, by the way. And I absolutely I, nailed, he, nailed them. Everything. Ali seems like the type of guy that loves singing that in the shower when nobody's in.
1: <laughs> I, I, I sing it when people are in the shower as well, it doesn't matter.
2: I, you sing it in Spanish and all after a couple of pints.
1: And I nail but it every time.
2: It, it was a crazy crazy process, but the album was very rushed. Um, they had a lot to say, which was, a, looking back now, is very, very hard to take but look i'm not using the excuse that i was young but i was and I, I, I never knew much i was left by a manager that i think i gave her over a hundred thousand pound and i think i've seen her twice
0: uh, and, that, and that's the way the music industry works sadly um, yeah see obviously that you released like answer phone is the biggest single that you've actually put out right yeah um, in terms of something that you've written like how do you look How do you look back on that now? Are you proud of that, or you, or do you kind of go look back on it and think, I could have done better than that. Like I could I could have put
2: out a better song than that. I mean, no, The it, answer for it's funny now because fans still ask me to sing it, and I'm like, really? So it, it obviously, worked at the time. They look. I mean, at gigs, I remember playing at like the garage and all that. they were only supposed to have like seven hundred in there, and they squeezed up like twelve hundred or something, and it was rammed, and they absolutely loved it. Um, so no, I I can't see the thing is, I can't live where it gets going, but if, but if, but if because I was was just enjoying it, I was young, do you know what I mean like, this was a part of my life that was meant to happen, do you know what I mean I can never take any I wish I, I, there's things that I wish I could tweak and change Um, like for example I get a record deal at 17 and I was hot off a show they told me what to do, they put it out blah, 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 blah and it did all right Now maturer 24 year old Married I wish I could be like Right I don't think we should call it "Names of an angel I don't think we should put covers I mean there's a song on it called When the Stars Grow Blue And I hate it The only song The only time I sung it Was when I recorded it I never sung it at a gig Or nothing ever again And I never will But songs like that I never even heard They're like ah, you should sing it Either that is all the songs that were on the show. And even to this day, like a thousand years and all that, people ask me to sing at my wedding. So I that's good for like people to have. But I wish see the thing is, see if I if I went, got the record deal and then says, right, give me a year or a year and a half to write uh original album, they would have probably dropped me and says, just leave it. And the album would have probably have flopped, and then it would have been looked like a flop. But if it was number six. Is it a flop when you're coming runner-up and you release it a couple of months after coming off the show? I don't really think so, do you know what I mean? So Just kind of things I can take away from kind of things and like that, just let it be.
0: As far as I'm aware, right, we've not actually seen a second album from you, right? Yeah. We might have, I might wrong. Are you still writing music? Uh, like, are, are you putting music out there that you think, do you know what, I could put that out there on my second record?
2: So what happened was with the... Um, with the record deal whatever, they they wanted to just do more single stuff and just decided to part ways. And ever since then, um, I've been independently doing it myself. Um, mm-hmm. but with the, the money I have I've got about twelve or fifteen songs here that I do love. Um, songs that you've written? I written with other people. I mean the money I've spent, I could have bought a house or just on the album. And <laughs> um, over, over honestly like over the last three or four years. Um but I don't know, I've, I I just think it's kind of just a wee bit of self-doubt and, and trying to find exactly what sound I want, I, I, that I like, that I think, like, that suits me and that's what the fans like. There's, like, songs that fans have heard and have leaked and they'll be like, oh, sing this, sing this. Like, um, a song called Look Easy that I've never actually released, but I've sung it at a gig once or, like, a couple of times and they've enjoyed it and it, it's caught on to them, so I'm like, I oh, maybe I want to release that. But I'm definitely going to be releasing stuff either... The end, the end of this year, I think. Um, but w- when it comes down to getting in the studio, it's like I explain to people if you buy a car at £100, don't expect that car to be running for the next 10 years. But if you're going to buy a car at 10000 then it's going to work. When you go to the studio, if, if you're paying studio time for good writers, good producers, and um, people to write hooks, mel- melodies, and all that. You need to invest in these really good people. Um, one, do they want to work with you uh, and, and actually bring out a good song or do they just want to take your money and just get something rattled out quick and then over yeah. and done with? So try trying to find people like that. Obviously, with coronavirus and all that, I didn't, I mean, I got offered to do Zoom um, writing sessions, but I just felt like that was a more a in a room type of guy, get a vibe, get an idea. Oh, yeah. Um, that I, no, definitely when- new music. And with an album... I don't know. I think I'll maybe just put it in the back burner of the now for a while. No for a while. But um, focus more on what I feel like I should be releasing singles wise and just give people snippets of, of like songs or whatever. Rather than like be like, Oh, this is an album. They'd be like, What? Fell out the sky.
0: I think that's important as well though. It's important to it's important to write and record songs that you feel represent you.
2: Hundred percent.
0: If you can do that in singles as opposed to an album, it doesn't really like <clears throat> you could you could be number one with an album that doesn't represent you in any sort of shape or form, but you yeah. could be number eighty and be wholly proud of the fact. Hundred
2: percent, one hundred. Like I, I should not like you've put the nail on the head. Like if you've got a song out there that's sitting at two hundred in the charts and you're happy with that product yeah. or what. You've won just because it does the chat. People will be like, Oh, you brought it out, but is it was at number 87. As yeah. long as you're happy with it and people that support you like it and yeah. listen to it, that's all that matters. Do you know what I mean? Especially when you're doing it independently. Look at these record labels that are putting millions and millions of pounds behind these artists. They need to do well, they need to be in the radio. They like, do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're paying radio stations, interviews, yeah. billboards, adverts, like. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you're releasing it yourself and your own fans are buying it, they're the ones that are bumping up the charts. None of this, like, do you know what I mean? BS with bots and all that. Cause I know charts can do all that, like basically buy your way up the charts kind of Do you know what I mean? But if you can release something that you're proud of, then it doesn't matter yeah. where it sits. As long as in your heart, you're happy with it, then it's like,
0: Absolutely. It's so important that you, you release stuff that matters to you and that tracks your life and that you're proud of, essentially, at the end of the day, right? Um, Aye. So I suppose that leads us to, like, what, what's coming next for you in general? Like, first, first of all, um, as Gleadric, we're absolutely um, delighted to have you on board for our much-delayed 10th anniversary show, which is obviously taking place in 2022 in March in Dundee. Um, yeah, we're really looking forward to having you on board for that, and 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 from what I've heard, like our, our audiences and stuff, they they're really looking forward to hearing you sing with us. It'll be a really unique experience in that sense. But aside from that, what what what's coming up? What's happening?
2: No, it's just about focusing on getting back out and doing and doing gigs. You know what I mean? Um, I've I've not gigged for so long. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know if I'd know how to sing properly do you know what i mean really um, but... i and just interacting with a crowd and with people rather than it being a facetime or a zoom call that's what i'm most looking forward to um and then i, I think me me and the wife are, are obviously maybe going to we're talking now about vacating over to florida um next year at some point some of the talks about doing that um Maybe just immigrate to Florida and see where that takes us. Don't know. Maybe go for a American look, you look, you look Audio or something. Move over there, yeah? I, I think, I, I mean, we're, we're talking about it right now. Nothing's really set in stone, but I feel like it's something that I don't want to be one of these guys that turn around and not like, not, I'll know, say like 10 year time, but like five year time and be like, I'm I'm 30 and probably get away and probably start, do you know what I mean? When I can be living it up in Florida. But, I um, so I think we're going to do that. We're talking about doing that um, and taking the dog and just maybe move, moving over there next year at some point. Um, right. so, so we're kind of in lump mode. I think we coronavirus kind of opened our eyes up to a lot of things. I um, so 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 I, I'm not really planning ahead as in 22, 23, 24. Um, but with regards to music, I can release music and bring it out and. Do it whenever I want. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 not. I don't need to be in the UK yeah. to do it. Um, and I've no got I've no, I don't have a lot here. Do you know what I mean? It's not. I I get things stop me from doing it. And I just don't want to look back regretting it. Do you know what I mean? Because if we know, it, I'll be fair and got a beard like you. Look like a fucking down and out. <laughs>
0: Excuse me, Nicky. <next> <laughs> the chick here.
2: It's a beard.
0: Nicky, thank you very much for joining us. We're absolutely delighted to have you on board at the Whitehall Theatre in March. Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll uh, we'll see you again soon once
2: your wi- once
0: your Wi-Fi's improved.
2: <laughs> 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 I phoned up Tesco's. I was like, Because there's a Tesco's just over the back of me. That's when one I usually connect to. I was like, "Get your colleagues after I've done that."